0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. As John III said, I am John Jr., and I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church, and I'm really glad that you're here with us um, today. I would love for you to open your Bible if you brought it to 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find it on maybe your smartphone app or there should be a Bible uh, in the seat in front of you. So we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1 today. If you have any questions about our message, what I would love for you to do is um, text them uh, to 307-316-2023. And then on Tuesday mornings at about 11.15, we go onto our church Facebook page and we talk about those um, questions Um, And actually, uh, we received three questions last week, and we're going to be talking a little bit about them uh, this morning during our time together. Um, I want you to imagine as you walked in this morning, instead of being greeted by uh, smiling faces, you walked in to the sounds of arguing and angry discussions. I want you to imagine that there are women in the church who are parading around like it's our church is a fashion show, and they just got here from the beautician, and they're trying to make all of the other women who didn't dress up in that way, they're trying to make them feel badly for not doing so. I want you to imagine that you see people pointing at others and then whispering behind hands, And during the church service, you notice that some of the leaders, you notice you've seen them before um, in the police call line um, in the uh, Scottsbluff Star-Herald. The sermon was a panel discussion about what kinds of foods we should eat or shouldn't eat. And it was a discussion that went on for months and months and months. And my question is, would you want to be here in that environment? I think we all know the answer that that is no. But this pretty much describes the situation that was taking place at the church in Ephesus in 63 A.D. Uh, this church had been founded about ten years earlier by the Apostle Paul himself, and when he founded that church, it was filled with possibilities. There are amazing things that could have taken place in this church, but instead it was an unmitigated disaster. The word that we use that that I got from Warren Wearsby last week was the church at Ephesus was a circus, and everyone knew it. And it was causing people to not just not want to be a part of that church, but because of what was taking place at that church in Ephesus, people were fleeing the faith. People were walking away from their relationship with Christ. So Paul, as, as the human founder of that church, did two things. First, he left Timothy there, and then he wrote Timothy a couple of letters. Last week, we read all six chapters of 1 Timothy, and this week, we're going to focus on chapter one. But before we do that, I want to pray, so let's pray together. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear the truth of your word. We pray that and ask that you would reveal your truth to us. We ask that, that you would show us how to be a faithful wife of Christ as a church. God, we ask that you would, that you would confront our own sinful tendencies and reveal to us how how our own sinfulness can contribute to a dysfunctional church. And that once aware of those sinful tendencies, we would repent, we would confess those sins to you, we would repent of them, and we would desire to live lives that are transformed. And then we would commit to having a functional church body. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't even know, but they don't know what they're talking about even though they speak so confidently. We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious. It's for people who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme. God. So here's the main issue at the church in Ephesus. False teachers. That's the primary issue, the primary problem at the church in Ephesus. And if we were to reread all six chapters of the letter to the Ephesian church today, we would see that these false teachers are revealing themselves in three different ways. The first one here in chapter one is False teachers are revealing who they are by their constant bickering and their constant arguing. So this is one way that we can recognize who false teachers are, by arguing and bickering. In chapter 4, we see that the false teachers are adding to God's law. They're talking about the kind of foods that people should eat or shouldn't eat. They're saying that people shouldn't get married And then in chapters 5 and 6, these false teachers are revealing themselves by their pursuit of money. And it's it's this context, the false teachers in Ephesus, that Timothy is there to put a stop to. So everything that Paul says, and this is is one of the things I really want you to grasp as we go through this series together, as we read through this letter together. Everything that Paul says to Timothy— is in the context, is related to false teachers. Everything that Paul talks about in this letter to Timothy is directed at Timothy, at the church, because of the false teachings that are taking place there. And that's why last week I said two things at the end of my message that that probably we need to have a little bit more of a conversation about. One of the things that I said was, There are things that it, the Bible, says that does not say what you think it says. Now, when I went back and listened to that, that's a terrible sentence. Like, it doesn't even make any sense to me that I said that. And then I said, and it might not mean what you think it says. So here's what I was trying to communicate. When we read the Bible out of its context, we give it a meaning. We think it says one thing, but it might say something else. So then after the 1015 last week, someone handed me a connect card with three questions, and they're all interconnected, and I want to share those questions with you. Why doesn't the Bible say what I think it says? If it doesn't say what I think it says, or if it doesn't mean what I think it means, how can I know what it means? Here's the last question. Why didn't Paul say it more clearly and leave no room for confusion? See, these three questions are interrelated. And when I talk to the person afterwards, here's here's the bottom line that that they were asking me. How can we know what the Bible says and that we're getting it right so that we are not like these false teachers? So when I read and I interact with Scripture, how can I make sure that I'm reading it properly? So I've been thinking about that all week long, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that this, this is a puzzle. I want you to imagine that this, that this Westway puzzle is the Bible for a minute. And here's how, here's how a lot of people read their Bibles. They, they have a question about what the Bible says about a certain topic, so they'll read this verse, and then they'll read, and I've got to be really careful how I do this because I'm going to put this together upside down. They read that verse, And then what they do is they decide what the Bible has to say based on these two verses. And here's here's the danger in us doing that. When we read the Bible in this way, we lose sight of the whole picture. The whole picture itself begins to lose clarity. We don't understand what is really going on here. And see, while these pieces... They they have value. Here's the thing. They only have meaning when they are a part of the whole. We can only truly understand what they mean when they are a part of the whole. And I don't want you to mishear me. Okay? I'm not saying that this verse isn't God breathed, I'm not saying that this verse isn't inspired by god what i'm saying is is these verses truly only have meaning within a larger context within a larger piece because the bible has lots of things to say about lots of different things and there's an overall message that the bible is communicating there's a big picture there's a big story there's a big narrative that the bible is communicating to us. So we need to be very, very, very cautious when we pull pieces out of it and remove it from its context. And one of the things that we want to do here at West Ray Christian Church is we want to equip people to be able to take these verses, to be able to take the sentences and the sections and the chapters and the books We want to be able to equip people to put all of these things together so that you can understand the big picture of Scripture. And I didn't mean to rhyme that. Here's one of the things that I want you to get today. Here's here's my agenda. That you would desire to read and study the truth of the Bible and that this desire would be motivated by love, that your desire to read and study the Bible would be motivated by love, love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Well, where did that come from? I think right now, as we, as we observe our political landscape, there are a lot of people that say things that sound really good but have very little meaning. Have you noticed that? Well, guess what? We have 9 months to go. We're going to be surrounded by people who seemingly have lots of things to say but say very little. So, so where did where did I get that phrase that my desire for you was to read and study the Bible and find your motivation of love. Well, we just read it in 1st Timothy See, that's the reason why every single week we ask you to open your Bible and follow along with us. We talked about this last last week in our elders meeting. I think it was Dave Robinson said, we want to show our work. We want to show our work. We want you to follow along with us in Scripture and understand how we came to the conclusions that we came to. See, when Paul mentioned that he had been appointed by God to be an apostle to Timothy and bring this message, he wasn't just padding his resume. He wasn't just saying, yeah, God made me an apostle. God did this. See, the false teachers that Paul is warning Timothy about here, these are people that are just padding their resumes. They have a faulty understanding of what their purpose is. And God, through Paul... Is talking about Timothy's mission in Ephesus. And here's the thing: none of what I just said to you, I read in a commentary or studied in a class on 1 Timothy. I spent time in the text. One of the things we talked about last week in our elders' meeting was how most of our elders and all of our pastors have attended classes, have attended Bible classes. We're familiar to different degrees, no pun intended. We're familiar to different degrees with original languages, and we are familiar with biblical context and historical context of the Bible. But here's the thing. That training only goes so far. I want to give you freedom I want to help you know that you can read the Bible. You can read and study the Bible. You can become familiar with what the Bible says. Because regardless of our professional training, we all have this ability. And as important as those Bible classes were, as valuable as they were for me in in helping me understand what the Bible is saying, truthfully, I've learned the most about the Bible Simply by reading it. By reading it over and over and over and over and over it again. See, there's no substitute for the Christian. There's no substitute for prayerful study of God's word. So before you read, we want to ask God to reveal to us his truth. That's why we prayed that earlier. And we pray that God would speak to us and tell us what that truth is so that we would understand its value for us as a church, that we would understand the value of Scripture for us as individuals. And then, after we've prayed, after we've asked God to do these things for us, what we do is we use our intellect. We use the brain that God gave us. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your mind is to utilize your intellect to read and study and put these pieces together. Let's talk a little bit through this text from 1 Timothy. Paul begins this letter with a reminder of who he was. He was an apostle of Christ appointed by not himself, but appointed by God. This is really important. Paul isn't claiming that he's an apostle on his own. He's saying, this is a role that God gave me. Through Christ, made me an apostle. And then he reminded Timothy of who he was. He says, Timothy, you're my spiritual son. And then in verse 3, he gives us the thesis statement for the entire book. This is where we use our, this is where we use our intellect as people. When I was in high school... I learned that phrase, thesis statement. There wasn't a single paper that I wrote from that moment on that did not include a thesis statement, that didn't include a single sentence, maybe two, that summarized the entire letter. How many of you are familiar with the thesis statement idea? Right? It's a thesis statement. And this is Paul's thesis statement to Timothy. Stay in Ephesus and stop false teachers. That's why he's there. That's the whole point of 1 Timothy. Well, why? And he goes on to describe this. He says, because the things that these false teachers are doing, they're talking about false doctrines and genealogies and myths. They're doing nothing but promoting meaningless speculations and controversy. They are not helping people live lives of faith. So when we think about the people that we sit under when it comes to their teaching. This is really, this is important right now. We have nine more months of this. When you're sitting and you're, you're interacting with what people are saying and you're interacting with what people are teaching, whether in the church or in the political arena, if all someone is doing is promoting meaningless speculations and controversy, You probably ought to back away from that. And what Paul is warning Timothy is, is these people aren't helping the church live lives of faith. And then Paul adds this. He says, I'm telling you this so that everyone will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. See, so for Paul and for Timothy and for the church in Ephesus and for us as a church body— This is not only, Christianity is not only a matter of truth. Christianity is not only a matter of being correct. Christianity isn't only a matter of being right. It's a matter of love. See, having sound doctrine matters. But the context for sound doctrine is love. Loving other people matters. But the context for loving other people faithfully in a way that God is honored is truth. Loving others matters and truth matters. So how can we know what the Bible means? More specifically, when we read through 1 Timothy, we, we see instructions about prayer and the roles of men and the roles of women and how do we care for the elderly in our midst. How, how can we know what all of this means? How do we know what we are supposed to do with it? We have to understand the context. We have to see how it fits in these things. And see, Paul isn't just concerned about the Ephesians and their quest and their desire for truth. Paul is concerned about the way that they love one another. And we're going to be talking more about this in the coming weeks. but this is, this is important for us. I'm going to say this again a little later, but we can be right and we can not love people. And if if that's what we choose, then we then we are guilty of not following the instructions that Paul is giving to Timothy here. See, concern about people being led astray and loving other people, these things are the lenses through which we are to read and understand First Timothy. Being correct, loving other people. And if we miss this larger picture that Paul is communicating to Timothy, we only get caught up in endless discussions and meaningless debates. If we miss Paul's point, then our discussions become meaningless. Because remember, Paul's, Paul's not just telling Timothy these things because, because they sounded like it would be a really good idea. This will be a way for Paul to, to cement his role within the church if I just say a bunch of things that sound really good. No, see, Paul is saying this because he's been appointed by Christ to say them. And, and all of these individual puzzle pieces, on their own, they don't help us live faithful lives that honor God. We need this whole piece. Paul says that there are some people who are just lawgivers, and what they've done is they have failed to understand that the purpose of the law is a vehicle for God's grace. That's why the law exists. The law exists to show people, to show lawbreakers, to show sinners that they are indeed sinners. And then once they come to that conclusion, what Paul says is the law is then going to direct them to Jesus so that they would seek mercy, they would seek grace, they would seek love from Christ. Paul had this to say several years earlier in his letter to the church at Ephesus. He said, We'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. And as we continue to read through 1 Timothy, I want you to keep in mind the purpose of this letter. Teach the truth and love others. Teach the truth and love others. Teach the truth and love others. And what I love about Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 is he doesn't use someone else as his example. He uses him, himself Did you see that Paul has a completely accurate understanding of who he was before he entered into a relationship with Jesus? Completely accurate. He was a blasphemer. He was violent. He was a persecutor. He was ignorant. He was filled with unbelief. In Ephesians 2, when Paul says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, see, he was saying that because he was able to talk about himself. He was putting himself in into that story. What's God's response to all of this sin? What does God do when he sees Paul sinning? He shows him mercy, and he shows him generosity, and he shows him grace, the filling up of faith and the filling up of love from Christ. And see, here's here's the thing that Paul wants Timothy to know, and this is something for us in our day and age. Truth and love will not be found in endless debates about the meanings of words. Truth and love will not be found in endless discussions about theological things. Truth and love are found in Christ. See, Christ came into the world, Paul says, to save sinners. And then Paul says, and I'm the worst of them. How many of you have ever felt like you were the worst sinner on earth? So the rest of you are lying. Come on, how many of you have ever felt like the worst sinner on earth? We've all felt like we are the worst sinners. Haven't there been days and moments where we felt like God could never forgive us? See, maybe some of you are there right now. Maybe this morning you're in a space where you think God could never, ever, ever forgive anything that you've done. Maybe when you walked in here this morning, you had in your mind that the roof was going to collapse on you because of how much of a sinner that you are. Maybe you're thinking, well, John, if you knew, if you knew what I really did, you wouldn't be talking about this kind of mercy. But see, the thing is, is you honestly have no idea how wrong you are. I love you, and you have no idea how wrong you are. If God can save Paul, and if you're unfamiliar with Paul's story, you should go back and read the first 12 chapters, 13 chapters of the book of Acts. But if God can save Paul, then he can save you. We say this all the time. You cannot out God's grace. You cannot out God's grace. You have never, ever boldly approached God's throne of mercy to seek forgiveness of him, and God has never, ever looked at you and said, Oh, you again? When are you going to learn? What's wrong with you? See, that's not how God greets us when we seek forgiveness from him. God knew exactly what he was getting into when he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Exactly. He knew what he was getting into with me. He knew what he was getting into with Paul. He knew what he was getting into with you. And see, he offers this mercy and this grace because he's demonstrating just how patient he really is. So what we want to do is we want to flaunt our forgiveness. We want to talk about the truth, and we want to love other people in ways that seems bold and seems scandalous, that people just won't get. We want to rest and hope in his mercy. We want to cast our sins upon Jesus. We want to give these things over to him. God saved Paul, and he offers to save us. And if he can save you, then he can save other people. And this is, this is what it means for us as Christians to proclaim Jesus as Lord. This is, these are not just words that we have on the wall in our lobby. We're to live our lives proclaiming him. Live lives of freedom as new people, as sinners who perpetually go to God and ask and receive forgiveness from him. So how does, how does Timothy do this? How does Timothy stop these false teachers? How does, he, how does he love at the exact same time? What's Paul's instruction to Timothy? It's simple. He says two things. He says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. <clears throat> One of the things I love doing is watching, um, watching documentaries. My current favorite documentary is called Free Solo. And it has absolutely nothing to do with Star Wars or Han Solo. There's a mountain climber by the name of Alex Honnold. And this movie is a documentary of his free solo climb, of El Capitan in Yosemite in California. And here's what free solo means. Free solo means you go by yourself, you have no ropes, you have no safety equipment, you have no security net, there's nothing underneath you. And if you haven't seen that movie, I recommend that you do. I want you to take a look at this brief clip from the film. You should watch that movie. Here's the key... To fighting false teachings in our own lives. To cling to the faith like it means everything. To cling to the faith that, that if you were to let go, you would die. See, climbing a mountain requires skill and it requires knowledge. And ultimately, though, the ultimate thing, the ultimate reason that someone would get up there without a rope and do that is love, right? You have to love that in order to do it. I'm not a mountain climber, I'm a runner. And the only thing that lets me run four miles at zero degrees on Tuesday is love. And maybe craziness. I heard you laugh. See, we're not clinging to our faith with our own effort. If we want to fight this fight with the values of truth and love, we must cling to what God has given us. We must cling to our faith. We must cling to our salvation. We must cling to Christ. But it wasn't just clinging to Christ. There was something about a conscience that Paul talked about. When our kids were young, the movie Pinocchio was constantly in our VCR. If you remember that song, always let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide can either be the best advice you've ever heard, or it could be the world's worst advice to you. As we discussed last week in our in our elders meeting, the human conscience only has value in direct proportion to our relationship with Christ. So if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, my conscience is going to be the worst thing in the world for me to pay attention to. If I do have a growing relationship with Christ, my conscience is going to be a good guide for me. Paul's words to Timothy are God's words to us. We must be on our guard for false teachings. When we encounter falsehoods, whether they come from within or from without, we must meet them with truth and we must meet them with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith and these things are only available through us to us through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning go back. Read the Bible like it's one story. Like it's one narrative. See how see how it fits. See how it's the truth. And see how you can't have truth without having love, and you can't love properly without truth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for helping us see how we can read and study and understand your word. God, help us to cling to our faith. Help us to cling to it in a way that demonstrates our trust in you and our hope in you. Help us to cling to our faith in a way that helps us to love others with a clear conscience, a pure heart, and genuine faith. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.